Good morning, Grove Church. My name is Michael Campbell. I'm one of the elders here. Um, this time it's a planned fill-in for Matt. He's not sick again. He was just at Bonnaroo this weekend at the Jesus Tent. So, uh, you know, again, getting out there, doing things in community. So I'm giving a message this morning. And this morning, I want to talk about fathers. Obviously, it's fathers, so it's Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers that we have. And, you know, there's different types of fathers we have, right? We have biological fathers. We have spiritual fathers. We have some folks who get father attached to them as a label, right? Um, you know, you think of some of them, uh, trivia time. So who's the father of our nation? George Washington. Good, good. What about the father of modern invention? Thank you, thank you. Or the, the father of modern thiever, thievery, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, sorry. What about the father of uh, mechanical physics? No, close. Newton, that's right. All right, let's, let's try a uh, much harder one. How about the father of the German nation? <laughs> In a sense, yes, yes. Okay, that was a hard one. That's for the, that's for the history folks. What's that? Don't say it yet. Very good, very good. History nerds unite. There you go. All right. Okay, let, let's try the bonus point here. How about the father of the Russian people and nation? Who? No, Peter the Great. Okay, very, very good though. So. How about the father of faith? No? Abraham. That's right. So you see some of those titles that we have, you know, where, where people are given a title of being a father of people, especially when we started to get to uh, some of the ones like talking about Germany and, and Russia. You know, there, there are men who were called the father of a nation um, because they helped to kind of form that nation and they were a central piece to it. In Scripture, we're told that Abraham is the father of the faithful. And, you know, you may ask why. A lot of the times we don't really go back to the, the Old Testament and read much about Abraham, but he's mentioned a lot throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. Right, so let's just talk a little bit, just to catch everybody up on, you know, Abraham, who he was, what he did, and why he was considered the father of, of the faithful or the father of faith. So if you think about where it starts back in Genesis, we see that we have Abraham, he was called Abram at the time, and he lived in Mesopotamia. He was, according to scripture, we know that he was a worshiper of other gods, because in Mesopotamia that was a, um, a uh, polytheistic society. Right, so they worshiped a lot of gods. Primarily, though, the moon god Sin. Quite um, appropriate name, I suppose. But that was the primary deity of Mesopotamia at the time. What we do know from Scripture is that the angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham and spoke to him. 
and called him out of his land, out of his father's house, to go somewhere. We don't even know where. Abraham didn't know where, right? And you think about this, if you put yourself in Abraham's shoes, he's like everyone there in these polytheistic societies, he's worshiping these little stone or wooden gods and you know just doing his normal thing to them and obviously they never speak back because um, they're just wood and they're stone. And all of a sudden, a god that he does not know appears to him. And I'm sure that made quite an impression on him. Um, it definitely had to because the angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, you know, go do these things. You know, leave your, your country, leave your father's house and go to a place where I'll show you. Now, if you think about the culture back then in the ancient Mesopotamian culture, which it, it was a lot of the culture in, in the Far East up until, um, or the Middle East actually, um, for a long time and still today, that your, your family was everything, right? These family groups lived together. You didn't, it's not like today where, you know, you can have folks, um, for example, my brother lives in Washington State. He's, he's the other side of the country. Everybody basically stayed together. So what this voice, this angel of the Lord told him to do was to leave all that behind and go somewhere. And it was the land that I will show you, right? So he didn't even tell him where to go. It was just... I suppose, start walking, you know, pack up all your stuff, and I'll lead you along the way. It's not like he was saying, well, you know, go over to Canaan or something. That, that's your destination. Head this way. So Abram really didn't know where he was going. And we know that he, as far as we know in Scripture, he did that immediately, and he did it willingly. Right? So he, he obeyed when he was called. We know that um, he had an active relationship with God, right? We find something very special in Scripture about Father Abraham is that God actually was talking with him, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, for example. God revealed his plan that I'm going to destroy this city because it has gotten so sinful. And Abraham asked him, Lord, would you spare it if I could find righteous people? And, you know, the number whittled down. But there was that actual interaction between Abram and God where he revealed his plans to him. And I don't think we find that really anywhere else in Scripture, right? So he had a special relationship um, with the living God. And he tried to intercede, but we know what happened. We also know that Abraham was called a friend of God. And that's a title that we don't find anywhere else in Scripture. Even David, who was called a, a man after God's own heart, was not called a friend of God. So we do see that Abram, Father Abram, had a very special relationship with the living God. And we do know also that there were blessings given to Abraham. You know, there were the promises of a land that he would own, promises that he would be made into a great nation, even though he and Sarah were well beyond childbearing years. God made him that promise. And promised that everyone would be blessed, that, that the nations would be blessed through him. Now there were some other promises that 
God made Abraham, and we'll get to those in a, in a few moments, but those are the three primary ones that he made directly to Abraham. What we also see, even though that Abraham was a father of faith and a faithful follower of the living God, he also failed, right? Fortunately, in Scripture, in Genesis, we see that he failed a few times. You know, there were, there were the times with um, Sarah and Hagar. He got tired of waiting. They were like, you know, oh, we want children. And that didn't end up, that didn't turn out very well, right? Um, the Lord had promised, but they got impatient, kind of like we do. So it's good to see those examples as well. There was the time with Abimelech, where Abraham denied that Sarah was his wife and said, oh, yeah, no, it's, that's my sister. Um, which, again, it was another situation that almost didn't turn out very well. Um, so, you know, there are times when Abraham, even though he was a man of faith and he walked by faith, he still failed. And I think that's great to see that example um, there because it, it can be where we put him on a pedestal like many of the, the Pharisees did, right? Um, again, we'll get to some of that in a moment. So if you would, turn with me to Galatians 3, 6 through 9. We see clearly from Scripture that, primarily in, in Genesis, that Father Abraham was a man living by faith. And he obeyed immediately and willingly. And there are times when the Pharisees would say, well, you know, we're, we're children of Abraham, so of course we've got it right. But Paul, writing um, to the church at Galatia, and he's speaking here about uh, salvation by faith versus works. So 3, 6 through 9, he says, Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So what we see there is we had a church in Galatia, like most churches uh, in that time, they were struggling. They were predominantly Jewish. They had a very strong history, a very strong tradition, and they were struggling with the new covenant, right? They were used to the Mosaic covenant, the covenant made to, to Abraham, and often they didn't really know what to do. They, they wanted to go back to uh, the way the Pharisees would say that, hey, you, you know, you're, you're saved by works, you're justified by works. And so, as we know in other books, there, there was that, um, that correction that needed to be given. Because what people wanted to do is they wanted to follow the Mosaic law, the, the Jewish tradition. And what Jesus, or I'm sorry, what Paul was trying to tell them, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, just the way Abraham lived by faith and he was justified and what that means is that he was 
given the righteousness, right? We credited him with righteousness. It's the imputed righteousness that we talked about we get from Jesus. That's the kind of righteousness that Abraham had, right, that was given to him. You know, he was a man of faith, but he was also a man of works, right? Um, that's talked about a lot in, by Paul and by James, where, you know, is, is it faith versus works? It, it's, yes, it's faith and works, right? But it's not the works that save you. The only works that save us are the works that Jesus Christ did, right? It's believing in those works, believing in him, and the works that we do are a response to that, a response of gratitude and a changed heart. And that's, that's the way that Abraham lived, you know, Father Abraham was a man of faith. He was living out what he knew to be true. And we see that, you know, that there's, there's oftentimes Abraham is, is used by the Pharisees and by the apostles, right, and for different reasons. But this is part of the reason why, you know, we talk about this a lot in Grow Group, um, you know, we, we can't separate the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Because it, it's all one book pointing to each other, right? So we have the, the Old Testament pointing towards the Messiah. We have even Jesus himself talking about Abraham. We have the apostles talking about Abraham. So it all needs to be taken in, in one book, especially when you're taking folks from the Old Testament and using them as an example in the New Testament. And speaking of Grow Group, our Grow Group is currently going through the book of Hebrews, right? And Hebrews is another one of those books that was written to a church, um, to, to believers who were struggling, right? And what were they struggling with? Again, they were struggling with well, it'd be easier to go back to the Mosaic Law. It would be easier to go back to what we know. And the writer of, of Hebrews, what he's basically telling folks is that, no, Jesus is better, right? That don't go back to the old covenant, which pointed to Jesus, and in their time, the Messiah had come. Right, so they were living in a New Covenant era. And what the writer of Hebrews was trying to explain to them is that, you know, you, you just don't go back to this. Jesus is better than anything else that you could do, anything else that you could want, so follow through with that. Now, we're not to chapter 11 yet, so folks in the Grow Group, a little bit of a spoiler alert here. We have in Hebrews what's called sometimes... Um, the hall of faith, right, or the walk of faith. Uh, I've heard it called different things. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing there is he's actually pointing back to Old Testament folks to say these people walked by faith. They had obedience, but they were looking forward to the Messiah. So I want to jump over to Hebrews 11 real quick because, of course, in that Hall of Faith, Abraham is listed. So I wanted to see what, is, uh, what does the Hall of Faith say about Abraham. So if you would, turn with me to Hebrews 11, 8 through 9. 
we'll read two verses, then jump down a little bit um, because we're focused on Abraham, but others are mentioned in between those verses. Okay. So in Hebrews, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of the promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And then we jump down to 17. Again, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead for which figuratively speaking he did he did receive him back so we see two instances there of the writer of Hebrews pointing back to Abraham living by faith and being obedient. Right? Again, what the writer of, of Hebrews was trying to, to illustrate was it's not works that give you faith or salvation. It's your faith and the work comes out of that. Right? And, and that faith is given to us. And you, know, you, have, to, you have to think at this point, as we've talked about some of the things that Abraham has done, right? You know, his his believing, his his actions, his obedience. Sometimes in our culture today, you hear about you know just having faith. You just got to believe, right? Or people talk about faith, but what do they really mean by that? What we see with Abraham is a living faith. We see a faith that's in a living God, right? A God that has made promises, who's told things to Abraham, and he's seen them come true, right? He saw God's faithfulness, he, the attributes of God, um, as he lived with him, as he obeyed, as, as he would you know, get up early in the morning and, and go when he was told to go sacrifice Isaac. You know, we, we don't see that there was anywhere in Scripture where it says, well, you know, and then um, Abraham asked God, are you sure? You know, give, give me another sign. Um, you know, l let me help to make sure, which, you know, Gideon did, and, you know, there was a reason for that, and we have that, that account. But we're told that when Abraham, Abraham was told this, the next morning he got up and he went. Did he agonize along the trip? Most likely. You know, he, he was probably trying to, okay, God, you've made these promises. I've, I've seen that you're, you're true. You're faithful. Um, don't know how you're going to do this, but I've got to be obedient. So we see that. And I want to jump to one final passage, which is in Genesis. So if you would, jump over with me to Genesis 22:15, And this is where we have a lot of the, the writings about Abraham. 
you know, we see a lot about his life, his works, his faith, and the, the faithfulness of God in Genesis as, as he's, you know, working through the father of faith here. So in Genesis 22, we'll read 15 through 18. And this is some of what we were just talking about. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, this being the offering of, uh, or the willingness to offer, offer up uh, his only son Isaac as a sacrifice, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands on the seashore. And your offspring sh shall eh, excuse me. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So as we were just talking about a little bit. God said, I'm going to bless you because you've obeyed my voice, right? Knowingly, willingly, Abraham went so far as to offer up Isaac, knowing that, hey, even if I do this, I, I know who God is. I know he's truthful. I know he's righteous. I know he's all-powerful. He keeps his word. He's made a promise of all nations being blessed through me if I offer up Isaac, you know, he, he's, even if he raises him from the dead, he'll make it happen somehow. Unfortunately, we're not put through situations like that to test our faith in those ways. But seeing Abraham's example that he was willing to sacrifice anything and everything that was dear to him because God had made a promise. And he, he knew who God was. And he knew that God could be trusted. We've talked previously, you know, we just finished the book of Malachi. And there in Malachi 3.6, the Lord says, For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you are spared. Right? And in James... Uh, I think it's James 1, we see again that there's no shadow of turning in God. It, it speaks to his immutability, right? That's one of his attributes is that God does not change. And I think we can look back at Abraham, who was called out of a polytheistic uh, society by the one true God, and... I'm sure that, even though it made an impression on him, just as we do, Abraham had to walk with God to understand who he was, to know who he was. You know, to be able to understand that when God said something, he, he meant it, he would do it, he could do it, right? Um, there were a lot of, in, in that time, you know, you would pray to a god, you know, again, some little wood or stone thing and just hope that something happened, right? But Abraham knew through his walking with God through these different trials, and we don't have his whole life recorded um, or all the things that he went through in Scripture, but 
you know, we, we can be rest assured that there were more things that he was obedient to, that he was told. So we know that Abraham trusted God and his immutability. Now, one thing we have to talk about a little bit are these promises that God made to Abraham, right? So we know the immutability of God, that God does not change, God does not lie, that he is all-powerful, and in his providence, he can make anything happen, and sometimes does. So there were promises made to Abraham, and there were promises made to his offspring, right? And something that we have to be careful about here, and, and the reason why I want to bring this up is because this, this is kind of a, in our culture today, sort of a, a modern movement, uh, specifically around prosperity gospel and things like that, where there are people who believe that some of the promises made to Abraham apply to them. And that's simply not the case. And, and I'll give you a couple of examples. So we're... God told Abraham specifically, you know, that um, your name will be great. I will bless those that bless you. I will make you prosperous. I will curse those who curse you. Those are promises made specifically to Abraham, right? So there is, in some circles, a, uh, a belief that, well, those were promises made to me, so if I have faith in God, he's going to make me prosperous, um, if people bless me, then, you know, he'll bless them. He'll make my family great, et cetera, et cetera. And that's simply not true. That, that's not what um, is being talked about here. The promise that we are heirs of is when God told Abraham, I will bless the nations through you, right? We are the nations. We are the Gentiles. Um, we are the ones who are adopted into the family of faith. Right, and through those promises that were given to the line, because you know there were obviously the descendants, there were promises made to the nation that we inherit. Right, and and that's an important distinction. It, it's a subtle distinction, but it's an important one because there were promises made to the nation, to the descendants of Abraham. Those are the ones that we are heirs to. So we're heirs to the promises made that we will be, that through Abraham the nations will be blessed. And some of those are, you know, first and foremost, he promised to deliver his people. You know, that, that was physical in the sense of, you know, Egypt, right? Um, that was also, I think, looking forward to the Messiah when Jesus would come. And he promised to be their God and to be their people. You know, we see that throughout the Old Testament where you know, the, the nation of Israel, the people of God, and us by extension, because we do the same things, we would disobey God, we would chase after other gods, as they did, we will replace him with temporal things, right? We see that in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, we see ourselves doing that. And he promised, you know, if we repent and we return to him, that he will bless us for that. Again, that's not material blessing. That's him blessing us with things like forgiveness and with, you know, imputing his righteousness on us when we do repent of things. 
he promised his love would never fail. Right? Regardless of how far we fall, what we do, if we're called by God, he loves us, and that doesn't diminish. Because again, there's no changing in him. So, you know, we can talk about God feeling far from us, but it's actually we are far from him. We're the ones that move. He doesn't. But when we repent and we return to him, he has promised his love will not fail. He promises to bless those who delight in his word. To those who study his word, who, who try to know him, who try to plumb the depths of the mysteries of him. To those who spend time in his word, who spend time with him. In, in different ways. Now, you know, Father Abraham, he didn't have the, the Bible, he didn't have the scriptures at all, but he sought after a relationship with God. We are fortunate enough in our day and age to have the story, mostly, written out. There, there's a part that when Christ returns, we don't really know what that looks like and what happens. We have a little bit of a glimpse to it, and it'll be a glorious thing that we should look forward to, not be afraid of, but we know most of the story because it was laid out to us. And if we delight in knowing that and knowing how God works and who he is through that, he blesses us for that. I already talked about forgiveness and restoration. In the New Testament, those are all Old Testament promises, right? In the New Testament, we have some promises as well from that covenant. Um, comfort and trials, right? This is another one of those sort of, there's, there's a modern um, belief that we should not have trials, and that's, that's never mentioned in Scripture. But what we are given, we are given a promise that we will have comfort in those trials when they do come. And those trials are a good thing because they build character, as James says. Right? So we do know that God loves us, he does not abandon us, and he gives us peace in trials, whether they're small ones or great ones. And also that he'll finish the work that he started in us. If the Lord has regenerated your heart and he has called you to him, regardless of how far you fall, how much you might mess up, and we all do, we all have our, our seasons, our periods, we're, we're sinful people, you know, we, we make mistakes, we, yeah, things just happen sometimes. But what we know is we have a promise from him that he'll finish the work. Right? He, he will see us through sanctification to glorification. So he won't abandon us. So again, going back to the, well, God is far from me or God's abandoned me, those kinds of, of thoughts and ideas, those are not biblically based. And in, you don't need to turn there if, you, if you're taking notes so you can make a note of it. In Galatians 3.29, Paul writes, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Notice that that's singular. Again, that's that promise to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through him. And that's talking about Jesus. That's what he's saying there. If you, are, if you belong to Christ, you are a seed of Abraham. So we've talked about this before, right, where we are grafted in as the Gentiles 
that we are members of God's family and heirs to those promises. So we see that in the Old Testament and New Testament that Father Abraham is often used as an example, right, of, of faith or works, or both, right? And one of the things we have to remember is that um, Abraham was, was born about 430 years before Moses, so the law wasn't given, right? So Abraham was never obedient to the law, so to speak, the Mosaic law. He was obedient to God, and he was faithful as God was faithful to him, right? He, he obeyed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Yeah, he was impatient at times. Yeah, he messed up. He made mistakes. But he is also, in the spiritual sense, the father of us all if we are believers in Jesus Christ and what he's done. And so those promises that are in the Bible that are recorded are the promises that we get. Those are our inheritance from our spiritual father, Abraham. In Romans 3, our grow group did a study of Romans. Rob, I think y'all are still probably going through Romans. Um, but if you think back to the beginning, the first three chapters of Romans, what does Paul talk about? His main emphasis is that what does not save you? Right? If you look at Romans, he starts off with the bad news. And he goes through, yeah, I hear you guys. You're, you're children of Abraham. Um, that doesn't save you. You're a member of a, a certain church. That doesn't save you. You come from a Christian home. That doesn't save you. Your father was a pastor. Yeah, that doesn't save you either. You know, he, Paul really hammers home that point because we see a lot of the times in Scripture in the New Testament where the Pharisees and other Jewish folks would say, yeah, but we're, we're children of Abraham, so we, we get a pass. You know, we're good to go. And Jesus said, that's not true. And Paul affirmed that as well. That's not true. It's not Abraham being your father that saves you. In closing, I, I want to read a passage here out of John. And you can turn there if you want to. It's going to be John 8, um, 37 through 47. It's a little bit long, but bear with me, because I think it, it really helps illustrate this, this importance of Abraham as a spiritual father. And God is our father. And there's another father mentioned in there, too, that you'll notice. And if I want to borrow from Charles Dickens, I would probably call this, you know, the tale of two fathers, as Jesus is having this exchange with the Pharisees. Now, to give some context to it, Jesus had been preaching in the temple, you know, telling people that he's the light of the world, that he was the truth, that he was sent by God. But there were people who didn't want to hear that, there were people who couldn't believe what he was saying. You know, there was, and, and their motives would vary, but some of them because 
it was personal motives. They were the Pharisees. They didn't want to lose the Mosaic law and their positions and different things like that. So after Jesus had said he was the truth and that the truth would set you free, some of the Pharisees said, well, you know, we're, we're children of Abraham and, you know, we've never been slaves to anybody. Well, I mean, factually, that's not true. Um, but anyway, let's just put that aside. So he goes on to, um, to refute that. So in 37, John 8, 37, he says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. So just a note there on the heard versus the seen, that's a really important thing um, because you have to be in the presence of someone to see something. So he saw that in the presence of God. And when you're talking about testimony in the, the, the Jewish tradition there in the law, if you saw something, that carried more weight than if you heard something because you were an actual witness to it. So that, that's an important thing that he's saying there where I saw but you heard and you heard from your father. In 39, Abraham is our father, they answered. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not Ill illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. That's an interesting little transition there, right? Because one of the things they're possibly trying to do in this argument that they're wanting to have is say that Jesus is illegitimate because Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit before Joseph and her were married. So they're, they're trying to discredit him in a way, right? Because they obviously don't believe his miraculous birth. But notice also, they do a little bit of a, they try to up their ante. Because before they were claiming, well, we're children of Abraham. Now they're saying, the only father we have is God himself. Right, so Jesus had just turned the tables on them and said, okay, you're trying to say you're, you're children of Abraham, you're his descendants, but you're not doing what Abraham did. Abraham looked forward to the day when Jesus would arrive. He believed what was told to him, right? He, he walked by faith. He was a righteous man, and these folks were not. So they saw that that one didn't work, so they tried to up their ante and said, the only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out his desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I, am telling, if I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. 
The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. I'm sure that was a pretty intense exchange right there. And Jesus goes on further to, to truly say who he is, and they really didn't like that one. But focusing in on that, there's another father out there, and he's the father of lies. And he is the one who will tell you that those promises that God made to Abraham that we're heirs of, nah, that's not true. God would never love you. Or, oh, yep, you, you blew it this time. There's no way God would forgive you for that one. Or he might take some of what God says and try to twist it. Because the best lie is one that's 99% true. Because it's really believable. And that's where we need to delight in God's word and know his word so we don't fall for those things. But I don't want to end it on a sour note. Because, yeah, we have the father of lies out there who will seek to, to deceive us and destroy us. And those other folks who are in the world, which is one of the reasons why we need to share the gospel and the love of, of God with them. But we see here that Jesus did come. Right, that if we know God, we know Jesus. And that he loves us, we should love him for who he is. Right, God promised to Abraham that we would be blessed when Jesus came. And that blessing is to do something that we ourselves could never do. No matter how hard we try, just like Abraham... Abraham was a righteous man. He was always held up as we are children of Abraham. He is our spiritual father, on and on and on. And yet Abraham failed. The Pharisees failed. The apostles failed. There's only one person who did not fail, and that's Jesus Christ. He came, as promised, lived a perfect life, one that we couldn't live, and died for us for our sins so that we could be forgiven and we could be in God's family truly and that's something that we need to take to heart to understand and be able to tell to folks I was talking with Danny this morning before the service and Danny told me that he, he said something, uh, I'll paraphrase Danny, but uh, to the effect of, you know, telling people the gospel, telling people about Jesus, that's the most important thing. We should be talking about that everywhere. And, and amen, amen to that. Um, and that's one of the things I love about Danny. He's, he's, he'll talk to anybody and everybody and, and just sharing the gospel with them. And it's an encouragement. It's an example for me because I, I need to be more like Danny, to be honest with you. Um, if, if I believe that Jesus Christ died for me and that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness and if I believe that other people are sinners and they need forgiveness I should be telling people that and, and I fail on that to be honest with you um, so fortunately the Lord forgives and he can strengthen and he can provide opportunities um, for me to do better on that but again that should be a work of obedience for what he's done Anyway, that was a side, side note there.
So we'll go ahead and close on that. But I'd like you on this Father's Day to just take some time later, you know, as, as you're, you're spending time with family and hopefully families are, are celebrating the fathers we have here and, you know, you're, you're spending time with folks. Just enjoy the blessings God's given you. Think about the promises that he's given us through our spiritual father, Abraham, and what God our Father himself has done for us. And share that with people. If you truly believe it, share it with people. And if you don't believe it yet, you know, talk to somebody about that. You know, if you want to know what it means to have Jesus in your life, in your heart, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, and to be in the family of God, you know, if you're a young folk, talk to your parents. If you're visiting here, you know, talk to myself or somebody you came with. Um, we'd be happy to share that with you. Because understanding that relationship is one of the most important things that will ever happen to us. So let's end on that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for, for being our Father. Lord, thank you for the promises that you have made and just for being unchanging, being a God that we can trust, a God that we can know, not a God who we have to guess um, how you are going to be today or tomorrow. You made promises to Abraham long, long ago. You made promises to his descendants, to the nation that we are part of because we believe in Jesus Christ, our Messiah, who's come to die for our sins that we may have freedom. And that your spirit is in us has changed our hearts, has opened our eyes to see your truth and our ears to hear your word and our hearts just to know you. So Father, we just thank you for being who you are. And we just pray that today, as we leave out of this place, you would provide us opportunities to share the gospel with folks, to, to share the whole story, to build relationships where we can build roads to share the gospel. Because it's the most important thing that any of us can share with anyone. And Lord, just thank you. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.